Hello, I'm Clive Nash. Welcome to Let God Speak. It seems to be a rule of life that service to others matters. Parents give up serving themselves to raise the next generation. Plants give up life to meet the needs of insects, animals and humanity. Are there parallels in the spiritual realm too? Must we give up selfish interests to gain eternal life? Must we, in a sense, die to live? I invite you to follow our discussion as we find out more. Well, on our panel today, we have John Cosmer and Casey Vikirka. Good to have you with us, John and Casey. Thank you. But uh, before we begin our discussion, let's take time to pray. Mm. Our loving Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you are a God who gives and keeps on giving. We thank you for the gracious gift and the greatest of all in the, your son, Jesus Christ. And as we talk about this important topic today, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide our viewers and listeners and us here as we discuss. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin uh, today by the, the words of Jesus in John chapter uh, 12 and verse 24. Here the, the master says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Uh, so, John, my first question is to you. Uh, what, what point is Jesus making here? Verse, the next verse, uh, Clive, says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And this is where when the seed appears to die in the ground, it, it's there by itself and then it springs up. Mm. And this is what Jesus was saying, that if we set our selfish desires aside, let them die, then we can be of helpful service to others. Okay, and be fruitful. Yeah. And uh, our dead life produces other life as well. Mm. It's one of the mysteries of Christianity. Mm. Yes, and Jesus actually set an example um, of that, and it's articulated well in this quote, which I'd like to share. It says, If Jesus had chosen not to die for the guilty race, he would have remained alone. The human race would have perished and there would have been no harvest of souls for the kingdom. By his death, Jesus brought life to all who would fix their faith in him. And that's from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary. And uh, yeah, so Jesus is an example for us. And he teaches us in, in Matthew chapter 1039, he says, he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So as we follow his example, putting him first here, uh, we can experience not only life ourselves, uh, but also help others. Okay. Any other thoughts you have, Casey, in which uh, illustrate, you know, that Jesus is our best example? Um, 
Well, it, it talks about it's being a little bit like a seed. So it was a sacrifice for Christ um, to do what he did. And um, basically, uh, when we, we look at Philippians chapter f- 2 and verse 5 to 7, um, it says something very interesting because Christ sacrificed was um, something that's unparalleled uh, in its extent. And um, in Hebrews, sorry, in Philippians, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And um, yeah, this this idea of him taking such a huge step of sacrifice um, where he was not counting, as it says, uh, his equality with God to be something that is grasped. There are some other translations that kind of ex- say that in a different way that can be easier to understand, uh, which is um, like, for example, the RSV, it says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, and the NRV says, I did not think equality with God as something to cling to. So this was something which he he sort of just lay aside. Um, He let that part of his experience die, so to speak, like a seed and then came to earth and um, and then was able to do something for humanity that would make a profound impact. Hmm. So, so John, do you see uh, a kind of progression in this this humbling of Jesus? Not a progression. A, a complete coming down. Hmm. And, and this is where Jesus was the king of the universe. And here he lays that aside and then he comes down to us in order to save the whole of humanity. And this was the seed hmm. dying and then coming to life. Yeah, it, it's hard to think of a parallel. You know, it's like, say, if, if you want to save a dog, you have to become a dog, you know, <laughs> you know yourself. It, the, the, the difference between humanity and divinity mm. you know, is just incredible, isn't it? Well, the book of Job says he became a worm. Mm. And that is just ever so much more a, an understanding of just how much God risked eternity and his position in heaven mm. by coming down here. Mm. Mm. And so it, it was a, de- a de- dissension, a declension. We might have to find another word for that, Clive. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it was condescension in extreme, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and Casey, um, we, you know, most of us, we, we live out you know, a normal lifespan, mm. but, but, but Jesus didn't live as we did, did he? No, and most of us, you know, we look forward to living a long life. You know, that's part mm. of our experience. Jesus' life was was cut short in its prime, and he, that was his purpose from the beginning. Um, in Philippians 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I think it's just incredible that, he could live a life or any human could live a life with the ultimate goal being a death. But of course, Christ's death wasn't 
just a death that went into nothing. His was a death that was an atoning, sacrificial, substitutionary death for sin for all of humanity. So that is where Christ could face in his life that death with a purpose because he knew that that death would bring about beyond that death great good. And um, this is what could have could have driven him, would have driven him to do it because um, the wages of sin is death, but Christ's gift was to us is eternal life through his death, uh, which is an amazing thing. Let's come back to the um, opening of this passage. Verse mm. 5, Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Mm. Um, so do you find something challenging in that, Casey? Mm. Definitely, because um, we in, our, in this, our society as normal human beings like to defend our rights. And um, we would want to defend that we have the right to live. Christ is saying you need to have the mind that I have, which was a life to give up what your rights are, give up yourself for someone else or for some other cause. And um, that is the whole selfless principle that drove God to um, you know, send his son Christ to die for us. And uh, it's very interesting that uh, Christ in his experience, he uh, received what was what we should have had, like the experience that we deserved as sinners is what he has. And um, Ellen White puts it quite eloquently. It says he was treated as we deserve in order that we might be treated as he deserves. Um, and so that it, it turns the tables. Christ's mindset is totally opposite um, what we have as humanity. But he invites us to learn of him and learn his mindset. Mm. Yeah, John, I, I'm interested in your thoughts uh, here. Um, do, do you think that Jesus gets the, the praise and the, the gratitude that he deserves for, for what he's done for humanity? The universe will, but how can Christ ever be praised and thanked enough for what he has done? Mm. In fact, here Paul in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse, starting with verse 9, reading from the King James, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. So this is the thanks that God is giving to Jesus now. And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. We haven't seen anything yet. Mm. When we are there, and praising Jesus for what he has done for us. What a day that's going to be. Every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here is Christ, having submitted his will to the will of his Father, came to the world to do that. Then we, as followers of Christ, we too can give our will to God and to do the will that God wants us to do. In fact, the Apostle Peter, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so that's the work that God has given us to do. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm interested in some remarks that Paul made in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you or urge you, uh, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know, it's, it's a reasonable thing to do to offer ourselves to God. And verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. John, knowing the, the, the will of God in our lives is not always easy, is it? No. Sometimes it can be very difficult. And, uh, and this is where that happens by the mercies of God. We appreciate the mercies of God toward us that helps us to know his will for us. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice in the work that we do for God. And we let God renew our minds so that we can do that very work that God uh, wants us to do. And these are the steps by which we can know God's will. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Casey, I'd like us to just go back to a a lovely story in the Old Testament. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read verse 12 here. Um, Of course, Samuel is named after the main character of the book. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Who, Who were these sons of Eli. Who was Eli? (laughs) And what was wrong with them? Yeah. Mm? So Eli, he was a priest um, at that time. He was the high priest, actually. So he was an elder uh, amongst the people, someone that was looked up to in the society. But his sons were unruly. They were corrupt, as it says. And, And the key point there is that they did not know the Lord. And that came out in their behavior very much. Um, they would have known what is right because they were, they were Eli's sons. He was the, you know, the, the high priest of that time. So he, he would have, you know, as part of their, their uh, worship, shown and expounded what is right. But obviously in raising his kid, his children, that they, they didn't learn it properly. And um, so as a result, they were very selfish. They were greedy. Um, they were immoral too, if you read in verse 22 of that same chapter. And um, yes, they did not listen to their father. They, they did not learn from him and follow him. Um, in contrast, there was the boy Samuel, who the book is about. Um, he was entrusted to the care of Eli the priest by his mother. Uh, Hannah it was gave a miracle it. child too, yeah, wasn't he? he was. Samuel an answer to prayer. Definitely, mm. yeah, he definitely was, and it's, it's an amazing story worth reading. Um, but it's an interesting thing that it says in this chapter, in verse eighteen. It says, "But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, uh, wearing a linen ephod, and so he he was part of the the." Um, the worship and experienced it from a child. And um, when you track 
Samuel's life, he had a very different spirit to that of the other sons of Eli. Mm. Yes, it's a, it's a rather a charming but there, isn't it? It is. In that, uh, you know, in contrast to the sons of Eli, mm. but Samuel. Um, so the child Samuel um, had a remarkable experience. He heard the voice of God, although at the time he didn't realize, you know, there was mm. God speaking to him. And in First Samuel chapter 3, I'd like to read verses 2 to 5 here and mm. set the scene. Uh, and it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so he was quite elderly, mm. and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And uh, the priest Eli said, <laughs> I didn't call you. Mm -hmm. uh, go and lie down again. So he, he went and lay down. Um, so, so, so what happened here, uh, Casey? Uh, when, when it happened again, with mm. Samuel hearing this voice, uh, what, what did Eli advise him to do? Mm. Yeah, well, it's very interesting what it says. If we read in a few verses after, in um, verse Samuel 3 and verse Eight, it says, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he'd done it a second time, and now this is the third time. And it says, so he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. Um, and then when we read the next verse, then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, you shall, you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So um, Eli was teaching Samuel to, to be um, attentive to what God was going to say. And um, it's very interesting because Samuel, the word Samuel, as in the, his name itself, means heard of God. Mm. And that's reflecting on, on uh, his mother's prayers for a child. Um, but here it's, it's a little different. This is where Samuel is hearing God and learning how to listen carefully uh, to God and follow what he was going to say mm, to him. It's almost like a literary device, isn't it? Mm, <laughs> yeah, used there. really interesting. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that um, Charles Stanley um, uses a phrase, a preacher Charles Stanley uses a phrase about shifting into neutral. The Holy Spirit knows when our agenda has such a large slice of our attention that it is a waste of time to suggest anything to the contrary. He waits for us to become neutral enough to hear and eventually obey. And that's from his book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. Mm. So John, what, what sort of things do you think prevent us from listening to God, hearing God's voice? In the book, Ministry of Healing, the Lord's messenger made a very interesting statement. That was written more than a hundred years ago. But how true it is today that every day brings its heart sickening record of violence, lawlessness, indifference to human suffering, of brutal fiendish destruction of human life. Every day testifies to the increase of insanity, murder and suicide. Who can doubt that satanic agencies are at work among men 
with increasing activity to distract, corrupt the mind and defile and destroy the body. That um, Clive is talking about today. Yeah, and it's interesting that you use the word distract. You know, Mm. Satan's trying to put us off course, isn't he? Mm. You know, to stop thinking about things of eternity, things that really matter in life. That's his his purpose is to to sidetrack us, don't you think, John? Oh, to to change our thinking about things. Mm. And another verse in the Bible says, and by beholding we become changed. You watch it on television, you will change. Mm. And you listen to it on radio, you will change. And if you live in a, a violent association, then you will change mm. and become that way. And so but then... But by contrast, if you, you think on heavenly things... Exactly, yeah. mm. exactly. Yeah. Elevate the and mind. And that's why when we die, we're no longer serving ourselves, but we are serving the cause of God to bring that kind of a situation to God. And we no longer become partakers of that which is around us. Mm. Mm. One of the others, to me, it strikes me that one of the other problems of humanity is we tend to be self-reliant. Mm. Um, and uh, for example, Casey, have you ever noticed that an infant said, I can do it by myself? Yes. <laughs> um, and, and are people like that, do you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah, adults are Even as different. adults? Yeah, yeah. We, we like to, you know, do all that we can to be self-reliant and, and um, often it makes you feel good about yourself if you can do everything for yourself. But again, God's kingdom is teaching us a different way and, um, and that is to depend more on God. But just to be reminded of, of the tendency of humanity to depend on itself, just let's have a look quickly at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, um, where this is where Eve was being tempted by Satan. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And so here she was instead of depending on what God had told her about the situation, she was depending on what her own assessment was of the situation before her. And it was in depending on that that she failed because that is what led her astray from God uh, and what God wanted for her. And so this is where we, we are very much um, in need of knowing and depending on what God teaches us, especially in his word, uh, because that is what can lead us in the right paths. Mm-hmm. There's another interesting story in First Samuel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's later on in life when Samuel is now a priest himself. And in First Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1, it says that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on the head of Saul and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So here he is um, anointing Saul as the first king of Israel. And then he gives specific instruction to Saul down in verse 8. He says, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you and offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. And then he gives a time period. Seven days shall you wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. 
um, well, Saul went into battle with his army. They were outnumbered by the Philistines. And, and uh, John, what did this, uh, this self-confident king, new king do? With a head taller than all the others around, he should have known better. <laughs> but he became impatient. And verse 9 says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. He had been told not to do that, but he went and did it anyway. And this is where, you you know, you look at that and and he saw and he said and then he felt. Feelings are not a good guide. Mm. When the prophet says wait, it's a good idea to wait. Mm. Yeah. So, Casey, how can we uh, strengthen our trust in the Lord? Well, by pointing our focus away from ourselves is the best way. Um, In Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6, it reminds us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And um, it continues to go on in that chapter. Don't be wise in your own eyes, etc. But in other words, put your focus and your trust away from yourself and put it fully in God and what he has told us and focus your mind, you know, meditate on God's words, immerse your mind in what God is saying is the truth. And um, as you put your focus there, it will build trust. And um, also prayer is another way. So meditation and prayer, reflecting on God's word that can also strengthen your faith. And then sharing that with others as well is another way to reinforce that in your mind. And the more you can engage in these things as part of an everyday lifestyle, the more uh, you'll be able to grow in faith and trust. Yes, thanks, Casey. In Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, we're reminded, not by might, mm. nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, Casey, how important was this for Israel at that time, facing opposition? Mm. Oh, very important. They were um, outnumbered by the opposition, and so their only hope was in God. And their only hope was in, in staying firm of hold of God as well. And so this promise was given them to bring reassurance. Um, it's interesting what it says in verse 9 of that same chapter, Zechariah 4 verse 9. This is um, assurance from God to the prophet. It says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And so <clears throat> as we trust in Uh, what God has said and in the Holy Spirit's help for even his workers, um, that can give a lot of confidence. Yeah. Mm. And and as we said earlier, you know, Jesus is our best example Mm. in all of these things, isn't he? You know, he he really was like a a seed, you know, that was falling into the ground Mm. and uh, and dying, as it were, literally dying Mm. uh, and then rising to life again to give us life. Mm. And so... We can, we can trust him, folks. We can uh, we really put ourselves in his care. Mm. You know, we've, um, we've talked today about dying like a seed and producing fruit. It may sound enigmatic, but dying is the way to begin the Christian life. We are to die to sin. And then the new life in Christ begins. It's all about overcoming the final enemy death. Thank God that Jesus has conquered the grave. Through faith in him, you can have the assurance of everlasting life 
right now and always. Well, we're glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.